are in the right place to doctor yourself first. That's right. I'm your hostess with the mostess, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman. Super pumped to come at you today. We are doing part four of the series, How to Start a Super Crazy Business and Go PRN Clinically. It has been so much fun to do this. I even got a little bit of email that I'm going to share with you later in the episode, answering some questions who've been listening along on the series. But before we get into it, I got to pay some bills. So let me tell you about this week's Doctor Podcast Network sponsor. Michael Ralvis is a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term and disability insurance needs. He provides an objective, transparent, and education-focused process that aims to help physicians make prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attendings. At Doctors Podcast Network, we know he'd be happy to help you with whatever your needs are, even if it's just answering a few questions. So you can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com backslash mrinsurance or contact him at 800-817-4522. All right, let's get into part four on how to start a super crazy business and go PRing clinically. Today, we are talking more about the clinical side. So buckle up, baby. It's gonna be a ride. to tell you, I bump along to my own bump music. (laughs) It gets me so excited. All right. Well, let's jump into part four. But before we do that, I want to answer some questions that I got through my email. So if you have questions, by the way, you can always email me as well. Hello at burntouttobadass.com. That'll be on the show notes. All right. This person says, hello, I finished your third and the how to start a business podcast series today. My third first thought naturally was, though, I don't even know anything. I don't even know what my mediocre plain Rice Krispie give out would be compared to your sausage balls. <laughs> don't you love that analogy, by the way? They go on to say, I have a question for you. You talked about both making personal connections and making content as ways to keep talking and developing your business ideas. What order should those things go in? Is it like, hey, get a little bit of stuff over there and then talk to some people about it or vice versa? Because I feel like at this point in my life, I'm not even sure what the questions I would ask people would be. Some of that is probably needing to sit down and do some fact finding. And then they go on and talk a little bit about that. So let's answer this question of making personal connections and making content as a way to keep talking and your message falling out of your mouth. I don't really think the order is important at this point. I think that You have to do both of those things. You have to start making personal connections and talking with other people. And just like we were talking about in the Burnt Out to Badass group this past week, that doctors and a lot of professionals are really terrible at networking. Why are we so bad at just talking with other humans? If you think about networking, not in the like historical sense of like trying to get something out of somebody, but think it as just trying to communicate with someone, just trying to be interested in someone and have a conversation with them, I think it makes it so much easier to make those personal connections. And remember, when you're making personal connections, you don't have to say like, oh, I run a seven-figure coaching business, blah, 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 blah. No, you just need to say, I'm working towards, I'm in the early stages of developing, insert, 
I see in my future that I'm going to be doing a lot more of. And what you're doing by that is you're starting to train your brain that like, no, this is not a pipe dream. This is not just something pie in the sky or something that I wrote on a napkin that might magically happen. This is going to happen. This is what we're working for. And by using the words that you're speaking out into the world, not getting all like crazy manifesty or anything, but you are saying like, no, this is what I'm working for. This is what I'm going to do. Think back when you were a pre-med student or in college and you were like, I'm going to be a doctor. And at first, how you were so scared to say those words, because it's like, oh shit, what if that doesn't happen? But then as you start to say it more, like, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a doctor. And then as things started to happen, those words felt more true. Once you did your MCAT, once you got accepted, once you got into med school. I think it's the same parallel here with business. Is like, as you talk about it, as you get over or you start sitting with the fear of like, oh my God, can I really do this? And you start talking to other people and other people by the way, have that same fear that they're scared to talk about their crazy ideas as well. But as you start to talk through it, then you're like, oh, wow, that's absolutely amazing. And collaborations can come out of that. New ideas can come out of that. Developing content can come out of that. And so it's getting past that first hurdle. And that's why so much I talk about in the Burnt Out to Badass group about sitting with fear and the monster in your closet, because it's not that you can't figure out how to do this. Millions of people run businesses. Millions of people start businesses. So the level of entry is pretty low. What is keeping you from doing it is the fear around it and the possible failure if it doesn't work out or the possible rejection if you try to talk to that person and they don't. So just recognize what the real underlying root cause of how you're feeling is. And you'd be like, oh, I see you there, fear. I'm with you. Come over here. Sit next to me by my desk. It's okay. We're going to talk to this really nice person. And if we only get like five minutes of their time, we get five minutes of their time. But I think they're important enough to listen to and to talk to. So answering that question, I do not think it matters which order that you go into, but I do think it matters that you do do it. And when I talk about content, content is any way for which you are spreading your message, your likes, anything you know you can teach about, anything that you can talk on. So that could be in the writing sense, that can be in the presenting like speaker sense, that can be in the podcasting sense. Guys, seriously, my first attempts of making content, I've talked about them before, are those little social media squares that I called truth prescriptions. And they were like seven words with a pretty picture that said truth prescription, truth RXS on it. (laughs) That was my content to start with. I was looking through some old um, albums the other day because I was cleaning out my Google Drive and I stumbled across some of those first ones again. And I was like, wow, baby, look how far you've come. And it's so important to just start making, get into the creative process. Maybe your content is like actually written cards or it's some kind of physical product. Maybe it's not digital and that's absolutely fine. What I want to encourage you to do is just start. Just go ahead and start. Do the shitty first draft and just know you're going to get better at it each and every time that you do it. But you will never get better at it if you never start. All right. That was a super long-winded answer, but I thought it was a great question and I wanted to share it with everybody else who's listening along at the series because I bet you have some questions. So again, if you have questions that you want me to answer, I'd be more than happy to do that. Send them to hello at burntouttobadass.com. If you want to have real life interaction with me, then you need to get into the Badass Slack group. And that link is also in the show notes. 
Come join me, ask your questions in there, and then it's the benefit of the group. Everybody gets to read the answers. So there you go. All right, let's get down to business. Every time I say that, I think of the Moana movie. Let's get down to business and defeat the Huns. I don't know if anybody else is with me, but I have to say Mulan and Moana are two of my most favorite Disney movies. So you will hear me reference them all the time. Okay, how to start a super crazy business and go PRN clinically. Part four, we are going to talk about clinical logistics. But before we get into the nuts and bolts, I got to hit on the mindset stuff because seriously, friend, you can do all the nuts and bolts shit, but if your mind is not in the right place, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter at all because you're going to self-sabotage. You're going to shit all over yourself. You're going to just have all sorts of mind drama that you're not going to be able to take the next steps forward. So let's do this first. So mindset stuff. First thing I want you to think about is like, how do you actually want to practice clinically? And so many people, when they sit back and think about it, like their knee-jerk reaction at first is like, oh, I don't want to do it at all. And I'm like, okay. But like, if you could do it 100% your way, 100% on your terms and your autonomy, how would you want to practice medicine? And get really clear with that. Get really clear as far as all options on the table. Would you do it just like as needed, like a couple times a month or like one type a month or like one time a quarter? Would you do it on a more like part-time, like two days a week? Would you maybe change your days and work like 10 to 2? Would you do weekends only? Would you do no call? Or would you do like only call and not do any like routine stuff? Would you do limited call? Like all options are on the table. And I really want you to think about as you're going through this, getting super, super clear on what it is that you want. Because so many times as physicians, we um, see a job listing, apply to a job. It's already got like all the listing, like you're going to do da, 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 da in this office and, and all the things. And we don't even realize that we have a choice in the matter to say like, no, actually, I'm not that doesn't work for me. I'm not going to do that. We just fall in line with everything on this on the piece of paper and we don't advocate for what we really want. And I would say this because sometimes we don't take the time to really figure out what it is that we really, really want. So for me, I did not know that call made such a huge impact in my life, like after hour and weekend call, because I had always lived with it through training and into my early attending years. And it wasn't until that I didn't take call anymore and I saw how much my mental health improved, how much my sleep improved, how much I was off of my phone how much my relationships with my kids and my husbands were better when I was not on call that I realized like that was one of the things the moving forward in my clinical life, I was not going to be on call. Now I said this and then I took a job where I was on 24 seven call. So it was a great reminder to me of why that is a boundary to me that call and I are not a healthy combination. So I think it's really important to no, like you're not going to get it right the first time. You're going to say you want something and then you maybe might compromise, but then it's like, oh, 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 now I remember why I said that. So getting your mind in the right place and really thinking about what is the best way that I can show up in the world and practice clinical medicine? What does that environment look like? What does that schedule look like? What does that patient population look like? What does my team look like? What does all the things look like and making sure that you're like, listen, this is my must haves. This is what 
I needed to look like. Because when you step into the world of looking at clinical PRM positions, there's a lot of flexibility. Well, hell, there's a lot of flexibility in the world anyway. But if we can get in our minds why we are asking for the things we are asking for, it makes it so much easier to then when you sit down in negotiations to actually ask for them. If you have the Dr. Me First workbook, which you can get off Amazon super easy, you'll want to turn to page 53 and page 60. That is the pages in the workbook where I walk you through a little bit more on this mindset stuff of really digging into what is the life that you want to have and envision and what is the practice that you want to have and envision. So if this question is not good enough here on the podcast, grab the workbook and that will help you a whole bunch. Remember page 53 and you can work through page like 62. All righty, let's get into the nuts and bolts then. So once you've done the mindset work, um, you have your must-haves like your ideal clinical hours, your setting, the kind of quality of life that you want and how your life is impacted by your work, your support staff. Hell, you need to make sure you think about your commute time, your location, and all the secondary work, like I mentioned before, on-call, charting, lab reviews. If you have to call patients back, all that kind of stuff needs to go into your like must-haves. Then you can come up to the table and just decide what to negotiate. And how I like to explain it to people is to break it down into a couple different buckets. So your first bucket is your must-haves. These are the things that are your non-negotiables. This is the stuff that the job must include or must not include. Otherwise, you're walking away. And like I mentioned earlier, for me, 24-7 call is a non-negotiable. I will not do it. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your stance is on call. It makes me a horrible person and a horrible mother and a horrible wife. And I will not compromise on that boundary. I will not do 24 call. So that's your must haves. That's your must have bucket. And really think about those things. And you're not being selfish. I don't think your bucket's going to be clear full of like bazillions of things. But in everybody's life, there are things that are just non-negotiable. And I'm going to bet that you probably have negotiated those away. And that's when you feel the most horriblest and awful in your job and when it's violating those non-negotiables. So get really clear on that. The next bucket is called your negotiables. Those are the things that you would like to have, but you would be willing to flex a little bit on it. So for some people, that is maybe particular days of the week that they're working. Maybe that's going to one clinic over another clinic, working in one department of the hospital versus another department, yada, yada, yada. But this bucket is the one that's kind of malleable and where you can decide to negotiate and to push on. Maybe you would really like a $55,000 sign-on bonus, but you would be willing to negotiate it down to like $40,000. That would go in this bucket, your negotiable bucket. And then your third bucket is called your nice-to-haves. These are the things that you throw in there as something that you can totally negotiate away because they really don't hold that much weight for you, but yet they would be really, really nice to have. So I mentioned the signing bonus and the negotiable, but somebody, some people will put that in the nice to have buckets. Again, me, it goes in the negotiable because it kind of is important. It's not something I want to throw away. But for somebody else, like um, a clinician that I worked with, in her nice to haves, she put in there that she wanted a bidet in her like physician office toilet room area, her bathroom, her toilet room (laughs) in her bathroom. And so I shit you not, though, she got a bidet because she asked for it. And so that nice to have bucket is what I like to push people to be like, 
If you do not ask, you will never receive. So what are some things that would be nice to have that you can ask for? Because worst case scenario, they'll come back to you and say like, no, we can't do that. And then you'll be like, okay, I'll let that go, right? So the buckets again are your must-haves, non-negotiables, your negotiable bucket, and then your nice to have, okay? So think about that. What are your, you know, what do you want? And then how you would break those down into the three different buckets. Another nuts and bolts thing that I want to talk about when you are transitioning from your current position into working PRN is malpractice insurance. I get a lot of questions about this from um, many physicians who are transitioning because they're like, oh my God, I can't go without malpractice insurance. If I do, like the world will collapse in on itself. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I'm like, listen, it's not that big a deal. It's kind of like changing car insurance. It's kind of a pain in the ass, but you know, you got to do it. So you just do it and it's fine. So what do you want to do first is you want to find out your current malpractice insurance. And every year as an employed physician, I would get an email with a COI and that's called a certificate of insurance. They have to issue those out yearly. And on there, it's going to have like the insurance name, the policy, the terms, all of that sort of thing. And so you're going to have all the information where you can either contact the insurance company directly and find out more about the policy, or you go to HR, whoever handles your insurance, and you can talk to them about it. And what you want to do is you want to find out what is your current tail policy. And with that, you want to know if it's going to end whenever your employment ends or if it's going to cover you through. So there is occurrence-based versus claims-made tail insurance coverage. And again, I am not an insurance agent, so I'm not going to say that I know everything about it, but I do know enough that I've been helping ship myself navigate this and so many other people. But pretty much a occurrence-based policy covers losses that happen during the time when you have the policy, whereas claims made insurance, tail insurance, covers when you had the insurance policy and the claims were made within that time period. So claims made insurance is the one that you definitely want to get tail insurance tacked onto. The occurrence-based insurance will cover you for that time going forward. Again, you need to probably talk with an insurance expert on this if there's some like wonky questions or anything like that. But you first must go find out what type of insurance coverage you have. Because I walked around for years not even knowing it until it was time at the end. And I was like, oh, shit, how do I manage this? Because that will help determine on if you need to take out an individual insurance policy to cover all the work that you previously did and including all of your future work or if you just need to have your future insurance. The great thing, too, I want to add as we're talking about insurance is that many times you do not have to get your own personal malpractice insurance policy because the places that you're going to work PRN for or clinically for will continue to provide that. And you can negotiate that in the contract as well. But you still always want to have those COIs, those certificates of insurance, even if you're not the one paying the bill so you can keep track of when you have insurance for what organization, you know, just in case the crap hits the fan and you get a claim on you. Another big question that comes up when I'm talking about practicing clinically, PRN, locums, part-time, all of that sort of thing, is the pay schedule structure. So I just want to put this up front. There are many different ways of getting paid, and the only right way 
is the way that works for you. Let me say that again. There are many different ways of being paid, and the only right way is the one that works for you. So previously in my employed position, I was on a guarantee for 18 months, and then I went strictly off of an RVU space. I quickly realized that I hated that. I hated being paid off of productivity because for me, it felt like I was churning and burning, just trying to get as many patients through, trying to do as many procedures because I knew it was going to affect my bottom line. So moving forward in my clinical life, I knew I would never work for the almighty RVU again. So that's what didn't work for me. However, I know a lot of specialists who work locums or who work um, PRN clinically, who they love the RVU-based system. It works really well for them. Um, and so again, like I'm, I'm glad that works for them. But I just want to say like, there's not the, that's not the only way to get paid. The other way to get paid, which is the way I personally like these next two, are a direct hourly pay. So you say, I will work for you X number of hours per week, and the rate is X amount of dollars. And there are some standards that you can find, like what's a reasonable ask and what's not a reasonable ask. And so, but again, you can always ask for whatever you want to ask. You're going to negotiate. So if you say like, I'll work for $800 an hour, and they're like, yeah, try again, try like 125, you're pretty far off. There's going to be a lot of negotiation and that's fine. I I just want to put out there that you can be paid this way and it's absolutely okay. Don't make a business or a hospital organization feel like you're a bad person because you want to be paid differently. The other way is to be paid off of insurance collection and billing. And so sometimes with PRN clinicians, they the organization will say, hey, you can keep all the collections. That also means, though, that then you have to do all the billing. And so, yes. As a physician, you can 100% bill to insurance companies. It's not an impossible situation. A lot of doctors do it, so don't let it scare you. However, I personally don't like that measure because I am putting my pay in the hands of insurers. And I don't have the best relationship with insurance companies. Can't say that I really trust them. But I do know that there are... um, the physicians who like say they round in the hospital and they do all of their own inpatient billing um, out to Medicare or whatever and get paid through that structure and have no problems whatsoever. You can actually make a little bit more money is what I've heard from those providers, but then you're also doing a little bit more work. The last thing I want to mention how you can be paid. So you can be paid off the RVU. You can be paid off of um, like hourly pay. You can be paid off of billing collections. You can be just paid off of a flat rate where in your contract, it's in the terms, it says what kind of services you provide, and they just give you a monthly stipend per month. A lot of like hospice, um, medical directorships, nursing homes may do this type of um, pay schedule. So that's an absolutely reasonable one too. And then of course, any hybrid of all of these is a possibility as well. So again, you get to decide that. You get to sit back and say like, How do I want to be paid for my PRN clinical work? And it really helps the organizations if you can come in and say, like, this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I'm comfortable with. And then you can move forward from that. Okay, I think I'm going to wrap it up here. But for part five, I'm going to talk more about the nuts and bolts of clinical work. I'm going to talk about necessary tax forms. I'm going to talk about contract reviews with an attorney. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about timelines. So join me in part five. I really hope this series has been super helpful. Me just laying out knowledge and information that I have 
so that you can know, one, that you're not alone, two, this is 100% doable, and three, there have been so many people who have done this before you that, yes, the fear is there, but it is 100% navigatable. All right? Well, thanks again for our sponsor this week. MR Insurance Consultants, where their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit their unique situation. Reach out to them for service at drpodcastnetwork.com backslash MR Insurance. All right, friends, I hope that you're gearing up to have a great summer. And remember, your life, your calling, your pulse. Hey, are you tired of going at it alone? Well, friend, you don't have to anymore. Come sit with me. I want you to know that it's okay if you need to take a break. It's okay if you need to talk about some real crappy things. It's okay. You're not the first to feel like this, and you don't have to stick it out and be miserable. There is a way out, and there's a whole movement of fierce females in your corner. If you want to come sit with me and be in my community, you will not see me in Facebook groups. I freaking hate Facebook with a deep and fiery passion. (laughs) But what you can do is come over to Aaron Wiseman's Badass Collective on Slack. Because guess what? Once a badass, always a badass. And this isn't anything that's paid. It's not anything that I'm like throwing huge promos at you. It is simply a community where I am trying to get people together in the same space so that we can have these kind of conversations safely and in a protected manner that you feel so loved on. It's the whole purpose. So click in the show notes, get over to the Slack group. We do have some community rules. But, you know, that's just how it goes. But I would love to see you in there. I am in there almost every single day having real conversations, posting crazy pictures of my kids and gifts, all that good stuff. And I want you in there, too. So come on over. Come sit with me. 